0: Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Pivoli, Staff Actuary Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. In today's episode, we are going to take a bit of a diversion out of the actuarial world and into the world of cuisine. Our connection between the two is our guest today, Patrick Chamberlain, who's a fellow of the CIA and is also the co-founder and senior vice president strategy and finance at Cookit. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: You're welcome, Chris. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks.
0: So before we get into the details around your business venture, I was just hoping you'd give us some background about your career as an actuary up to the point where you decided to start this company.
1: Sure. I actually started while I was still in university. Uh, We had some internship openings at different consulting firms. So I, I kind of started the traditional way, lending a job at Aon. Uh, in those days, it was back in, in 2001, actually, where the years that there was a competitor to Excel at the time, I think I worked first on, on Quattro software, which doesn't exist anymore. So that brings us a bit back in time. So I was doing traditional pension administration consulting work Been doing that for a couple of years, almost three years at Aon, all finishing up my studies. And I was close to the group that were working on something quite new in those days, like uh, more risk management and investment consulting. So I kind of have a strong interest in moving that department. So that's when I I decided to jump in the investment world per se. So that was back in 2003 at Watson Wyatt. And I did that for a couple of years, still in consulting, was working for a large client in the corporate world. So eventually they asked me to join their corporate finance team. So I thought it was a very interesting opportunity to continue to supervise the company's pension fund. They had like funds all over the world in Canada and the U.S. and also in Europe, so it was a multi-billion dollar pension fund, while learning something else, meaning the corporate finance stuff. So that was very interesting, but unfortunately, they were in the old industry, like printing, like printing magazines, printing newspapers and stuff like that. So they actually filed for bankruptcy about a year later. That was quite an interesting experience though. And then came back to the consulting world, I think that's, that was maybe five or six years after the start of my career. Uh, that's when I start to be the, a real consultant, move out of a technical role, more like management, client relationship, sales, research on, on uh, alternative asset class. It was still in the investment consulting practice. So, uh, and it was at Normandy in Montreal, which has a very entrepreneurial mindset. Maybe it was a less mature consulting firm when you, you compared to the big ones. So there was a lot to be done there. And I really like enjoy the experience there, like building the practice and doing some research. And that actually closed the first decade of my career. And I had a fatigue about consulting because you do a lot of things. You put in a lot of hours. So I, I decided to try the asset owner world just try to enjoy a life without any timesheets. So I kind of liked that a lot. I uh, joined uh, a large institutional investor, La Caille de Depot in Montreal. It was an institution with about $200 billion of assets under management. It was a uh, few years after the financial crisis, and the role there was really interesting. It was not one where I felt comfortable. It was really reviewing all the company. New investment activity. So if a trader wanted to trade something new, new instrument, or wanted to adopt a new process or uh, go out of their investment policy, they had to follow a process. And everything has been jammed since the financial crisis. So two or three years, everything was jammed, but they decided to loosen it up a little and put somebody in charge of reviewing those new investment activities. So I had to work with traders, financing people, accounting stuff. It, it was a very interesting role where it covered a lot of La Caixa de Poso. I did that and eventually joined Air Canada Pension Plan, where it was a, a more bottom-up or portfolio management role, where we were building portfolio training stuff that were more like a hedge fund type of investment strategy. Did that for a couple of years, five years, almost five years there. And in the meantime, in the early days of Air Canada, that's when I actually co-founded Cookit, where we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I was like just helping in the beginning and then focused on Air Canada. And I actually came back later to Cookit when when the company was a larger company.
0: Okay, great. Maybe tell us a bit more about Cookit. What is it? How does it work? And uh, what were some of the main challenges? that you faced in getting the business started?
1: Yeah, Well, well Cookit is, um, is the oldest meal kit company in Quebec. It was founded in June 2014 by three uh, crazy people, my spouse, a best friend, and myself. So uh, it's a pure online subscription-based company where we actually have chefs that are designing menus every week and our clients, which are subscribers, they pick and choose whatever they want to eat and then we just uh, portion everything source all the ingredients it's fresh and it's delivered to your doorstep in a box with a recipe card and its recipe is approved by nutritionists designed to be prepared in under 30 minutes so you get everything you need for your meal planning and and then you just have the fun uh, to cook it at home so that's basically the idea in 2014 it was something that has never been seen in quebec so it, it was quite innovated so to speak we had a we had a lot of challenges in those days and today just to give you some numbers we have close to thirty seven thousand subscribers in quebec mostly but also in ontario in the maritimes it's 550 employees an annual sales of approximately 70 million. So it's now it's quite a big company. With the COVID especially, it's, it's something now that people adopt are familiar with. It's a service that gets into people's lives to simplify their life actually. So initially what we were proposing was so different that it was hard to be taken seriously. When we were saying that we're gonna ship to you like fish in a box in Quebec City or in the Toronto, it was something that like our friends were saying, are you are you sure about that? Can you do that? And actually we could. So one of the challenges we had is we chose to be self-funded for a few years, actually for three years. We didn't raise any capital. So everything was relatively hard. Financial resources are like an enabler. So it allows to invest in people and technology equipment and so on. So we didn't have that from 2014 to 2017, where we actually closed the first financing round in December of 2017. So the positive thing about that though, was that we became extremely creative and efficient. So uh, obviously we made a lot of mistakes, but we made them on a small scale, uh, instead of betting the house on something big, which when you have a lot of money, you can take some bigger chances and risk stuff. And a second one, a big challenge that we face, and that one lasted for a relatively long time. I would say almost up to COVID, basically. There was the US experience of Milkit, which was at first a very successful story. VCs or people with capital in the US were throwing an insane amount of money in this, at the industry. Like Milkit was the next big thing. Uh, blue apron was kind of the poster child for that the, i think they raised something like half a billion dollar in capital so i was saying that we were like because you're broke you're creative and you're efficient like obviously blue aprons didn't have to be creative and efficient because they have so many dollars in the bank account so uh they actually did an ipo and had a two billion dollar valuation and then everything went wrong and there was about 150 milk kit companies in the u.s all competing very hard to acquire new customers spending like enormous and inappropriate amount of money on marketing campaigns and and giving the most unsustainable crazy incentives like come to us sign with us and we're going to give you like four weeks of free meals and stuff like that so at some point you have to actually think on how you're going to make money and, and be financially sustainable so that kind of environment or culture in the u.s well financial analysts they all read the same news so the Like the the rise and fall of Blue Apron was all over the place, and when we spoke to investors in Canada, everything everyone was bringing that up. Like, yeah, we knew we know meal kits are bad. Like Blue Apron was a disaster for investors and stuff like that. So we had to fight that for such a long time, and we're extremely proud today to say like uh, I share the level of revenues that we generate on an annual basis, but we've been profitable for. The last six or seven months, which is quite a feature in in our industry. So yeah, that that was the the main challenge that I had to face personally over the years.
0: Okay, interesting. Certainly, that was a big transition going from an actuarial career to doing something like this that's totally different. Can you share some of the personal hurdles that you needed to get over in order to make that switch, and how did you manage that?
1: I think personal hurdle. It's not related to being an actuary, but I think. Everyone that launches a business or entrepreneurs in general, they will face something that I call the imposter syndrome. Because as actuaries, we're born and raised in a very controlled environment. So when you jump into like launching your your venture or your company, it's a it's chaos. And when you come as a consulting in the firm, you look up to your uh, supervisor and, and he's going to teach you how to take his role and, and so on. But when you're an entrepreneur or you own the business in that community, everyone talks about the success story of the big entrepreneurs of the world, the Steve Jobs and and all these those inspiring entrepreneurs that had a lot of success. So you come in and you you just don't know what to do exactly on a daily basis. So you you kind of feel like an imposter like every single day and you doubt everything that you do, which is. Good, but it can become paralyzing at some point if you don't overcome that. And there's no recipe for that. It's just like you just need to take time. And the proof is in the pudding. So you you just like got to learn to trust yourself and, and build that confidence and surround yourself with people that helps you. And actually, I think that's how it it goes along. And for me, it, it's been it took like at least a year or a year and a half before I feel comfortable like assuming and having confidence when doing some investor pitch or talking to other entrepreneurs you always like feel that you're you know am i good enough I, am, am i taking the right decision so and you know i, I read a book recently uh, it's called our Thing about Art teams and you know most books focus on how to do things correctly when you look at like books on management and stuff like that it's always like the mba textbook style what how to do things correctly but in a startup world Inevitably, things will go wrong, like big time. Like whether it's shareholder disagreement, risk of going bankrupt, competitor being better funded, attacking your market, sudden hyper growth smashing your capacity to, to operate, reaching a point where you know a founder is outgrown by a company. I think these things happen all the time at every startup. So when those things happen, there is no recipe to to success or overcome those challenges. So every situation different is new by definition, there's no technical training for that. So you gotta think hard, communicate, seek advice, and eventually trust yourself. You'll do mistakes, but you, you just have to try to avoid those fatal or ultimate mistakes that bring your company down it. And the truth is that you will seek advice and talk to people, but as a founder, you're often alone and you've got to make some decision and everyone is looking at you, and there's no recipe to manage those tough situations. It's just, it, sometimes it, it can get hard, so
0: okay now was there anything about your actuarial training and experience that helped you in this venture
1: definitely the actual training is i think is very complete it gives you some discipline you've got to be curious you've got to be committed and a self-learner so to speak so i think those are skills that will be very handy to launch your own company but as i said you're often alone and you've got to find solutions and throughout the years I, i've been roughly 20 years doing like actual work for big companies like whether it's investment or investment consulting so uh you have a very strong technical skill set like um, fi- building financial models so when i jumped in my company and building a financial model to look after an acquisition. For example, we, we did an acquisition of a subsidiary of Metro called Miss in December twenty nineteen. It was a significant transaction, a couple of million dollars. Well I have no idea how to do a an acquisition, so we call the lawyers, talk to the accountant, but then I get the data and I look at the data and build the financial model and try to determine what would be an appropriate price to pay for those assets. So even though I never done that, I think the overall training was very useful just to look at the problem and solve that problem. I kind of look at things like more like always like problem that you can solve with a mathematics mindset or a, a systematic mindset, and that's been very, very useful on my everyday job. Now I'm running the uh, all the finance operation, so building budget, talking to investors, doing the reporting. It's all things that I didn't learn in school on a prior job, but I was strained to be able to you know, take that challenge over and actually do a pretty good job at it.
0: Oh, that's great. So maybe let's wrap up if you could provide a bit of advice for somebody, an actuary, who would like to make a leap into a different career path. What can you tell them to help them be successful in that?
1: One thing is, as I said, actuaries are born and raised in a control environment, I think. You've got to break those boundaries if you want to jump in and launch your venture. I think you've got to dream big and start small, but the most important thing is to start and don't forget to have fun it's basically what i'm trying to have every day and something i have a freedom i feel in in working in my own company that you don't necessarily have if you're an employee in a large corporation but make sure you enjoy your work be self-aware like just go home tonight and ask yourself how can you increase your happiness in your work and it might sound very simple but no one's going to do that for you so be self-aware and just try to have fun with your colleagues, with the nature of the job, and, and dream big. That would be my advice.
0: Okay, sounds like good advice. Well, thanks very much for joining us today and talking about your venture.
1: Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: We now have several dozen episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you to subscribe. You can do so through Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. And if you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment. We would like to hear from you as well, so please send any suggestions or episode ideas to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. And we're always looking for content for our Seeing Beyond Risk blog, so if you have some ideas you would like to share, please contact us at seeingbeyondrisk at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Viboli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.